Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. This month, I got really into Irish lore while researching for St. Pat's Day. Being that this is the last week of March, I wanted to round out the month with one more piece of Irish history and haunt. This is also going to be the last episode of this season. I'm going to take a few weeks off to research some creepy new topics and to work on a book that I'm writing. I plan to be back on the first week of May. But before I go on that short break, I wanted to tell you about Malahide Castle, which is home to at least five distinct ghosts, all of which have intricate backstories. So if you love a backstory as much as I do, keep listening, because no one loves a backstory as much as I do. talk about Ireland and do it justice without talking about its castles. And no Irish castle is more talk-worthy than Malahide Castle. Malahide was built in the 12th century and it sprawls across 260 acres in Malahide Village, population 17k. For most of you, 17,000 people sounds like a small town, but I came from a true village of population 400, so to me, that's a virtual metropolis. Malahide is only about nine miles north of Dublin, though. It's pretty much a suburb of it. It's an affluent coastal town, and in pictures, it kind of reminds me of Martha's Vineyard. But unlike the vineyard, which is home to the ghost of the Kennedys, this seaside village is home to a whole castle full of ghosts. Five, to be exact. Except for a brief blip in time, Malahide was owned by only one family for nearly 800 years. Of course, there's some popping hot tea behind that story, so let's get into it. The story starts in 1174, when Sir Richard Talbot accompanied Henry II to Ireland. Henry decided to try and take over the Emerald Isle because it was his strategic location. He wanted to prevent his enemies from using it as a base point during war. He wanted to use it as a base point during war. Sir Talbot helped Henry capture Ireland, and as a reward for his loyalty, the king granted his knight the lands and harbor of Malahide. All of this loot came with a castle, of course, and so began the Talbot's ownership of Malahide Castle in 1185. As you can imagine, owning a castle back then meant that people were always trying to pick fights with you so they could take it away from you. One of those fights happened in 1690, and it was called the Battle of Boyne. And of course, it was over who was going to rule England, Ireland, Scotland. That's pretty much what everybody was fighting about back then. Today, we mostly fight about who you're secretly snapping on Snapchat, but back then, pretty much every fight was about who was going to be king or queen of those three lands. Anyway, the Talbot clan fought in this battle from their vantage point at Malahide Castle. According to Wikipedia, on the morning of July 1st, 1690, 14 Talbot men sat down with the family for breakfast, but the fighting was so intense that by the end of the day, only one of them remained alive. Surprisingly, losing all these Talbot men did not end the Talbot line, nor did they lose their castle, despite the fact that they ended up fighting on the losing side. They were even able to hold on to their palatial home during the penal law era, despite the fact that they were Catholic. Back then, penal law was established in an attempt to weaken Irish Catholic Church by punishing those who followed their faith. Catholics were not allowed to enter any kind of profession like law or medicine. 
They couldn't even become an officer in the army, own weapons, or even own a horse worth more than a few pounds. Naturally, they were also not allowed to play Irish music, of course, and they weren't supposed to possess 260 acres of waterfront property with a massive castle sitting on it. Somehow, though, the Talbot's castle was never seized, and they got to keep living in it all through all that stuff. I'd say they were pretty lucky for that, but it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows at the castle. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any ghosts for us to talk about. The first ghost that Malahide Castle claimed involved a super dramatic gal named Maud Plunkett. In fact, three of the five ghosts can be blamed on Maud's turbulent love life. Maud sounds a little like me. Although her name suggests otherwise, it's said that Maud Plunkett was a beautiful young woman. Her dad was the Baron of Colleen, so she was somewhat high society there. Maud fell in love with a handsome young soldier named Thomas Hussey. Tom's other title was Lord Galtrum, so he was highfalutin too. It was a love match, and so the wedding was on. Now, Lord Galtrum was away on military duty, so I imagine a lot of the courtship happened through the mail. And because Lord Galtrum was away, his father had to find a place for the couple to marry. Since the Talbots owned the most lavish wedding venue in the land, Lord Galtrum's father asked the Talbots if the nuptials could take place at Malahide Castle. The Talbots kindly agreed, and Lord Galtrim was able to take a break from fighting in the war and make it home for the big day. But unbeknownst to Lord Galtrim, he had a rival. A rival not only on the battlefield, but also for Maud's affections. On their wedding day, Lord Galtrim and Maud managed to say I do, but at about two seconds after they kissed, the groom was called away from the church and directly onto the battlefield. There, as he rode into war, he was killed by his rival. It's said that he was murdered so shortly after the wedding that his corpse was actually brought back in the middle of the bridal banquet. It's rude. Lord Galtrim's ghost has haunted Malahide Castle since. He still wanders the halls with a bloody spear wound gaping in his side. It's said that he can usually be heard before he's seen as he tends to moan and groan loudly as he materializes. Perhaps Lord Galtrim isn't just moaning and groaning from the phantom pain that killed him but also because of what Maud did right after he died. She married the guy who killed him. Well, who was this rival and what was his deal anyway? According to Wikitree.com, Maud married Sir Richard Talbot less than a year after she married Thomas Hussey, the Lord Galtrum. So apparently the Talbots hosted a wedding and then one of their own murdered the groom and married the bride. Also interesting is that Wikitree lists one child that was born to Maud and Richard Talbot, a son named Thomas. Can you imagine how that discussion went? You want to name your son after your ex? He's only my ex because you stabbed him to death. Hmm, touche. Very well. Thomas it is then. Whether or not it was a happy marriage remains to be seen, but we do know that it was a short one. The pair were only married a couple of years before Richard died. Maud then married a third time to a man who I believe was named Jenico Artois. Records show that she had three husbands, one of this name, and who was also the Lord Chief Justice. So Maud was kind of social climbing there. Since she'd already lost two husbands, Maud was more than a little paranoid, so she kept a close eye on this one. Too close, apparently. It's said that she was very possessive and even abusive of her new husband. She liked to pick fights with him, and witnesses say that she frequently chased him around the house, hitting him. 
The specter of Maud chasing the poor Lord Chief Justice through the halls at Malahide Castle has been spotted on countless occasions. So we have Maud and two of her exes spending eternity inside that castle. Awkward! Now, earlier I said there was a short blip in time when Malahide Castle was out of the Talbots' control. This happened in 1649 when Oliver Cromwell gifted Miles Corbett with Malahide Castle. Who is this Cromwell dude, and how did he get his hands on a whole castle in the first place? Well, Cromwell is the dude who famously invaded Ireland in a bid to overthrow the crown. When he and his cronies were successful in taking over the country, he granted his broskies lands and loot to reward them for their help. Miles Corbett was one of those broskies. Corbett got to chill in the castle for about 11 years. During this time, he tried to do even more to punish the Catholics and even attack the village church, both of which made him wildly unpopular with the locals. So no one was too sad when Charles II of England recaptured his throne because this meant that Corbett, Cromwell, and all those broskies got put on a naughty list. A hunt down and execute list, actually. In 1660, Malahide Castle was returned to the Talbots and Miles Corbett was executed by being hanged drawn, and quartered. Ouch. That's quite a hefty price to pay for owning a castle for a few years. But it seems like Corbett wasn't quite ready to give up his castle. He is the fourth ghost that haunts its halls. He shows up every year on the anniversary of his death, running through the halls of the castle, as if he's trying to escape from his captors. He appears at other times as well, dressed in a full suit of armor that slowly falls apart into four separate pieces. You know, because he was drawn and quartered and all. Yuck. I thought Maude was dramatic, but Miles Corbett's ghost rivals hers in terms of theatrics. The fifth and final ghost of Malahide Castle is named Puck. Puck was the Talbot's court jester. He was a dwarf and he lived in one of the castle towers because when he wasn't entertaining people, he was employed as a watchman for the family. During this time, a noblewoman named Lady Elizabeth Fitzgerald visited the castle. Lady Elizabeth was brought up at the court of King Henry VIII. Yes, Henry VIII, that guy that killed all his wives. Henry VIII had a daughter named Princess Elizabeth, who would grow up to become Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth and Lady Elizabeth Fitzgerald were best friends. So not only was Lady Elizabeth famous for her beauty, she was of extremely high social standing. Although it clearly was not a love match, Puck still fell in love with Lady Elizabeth. There are multiple versions of what happened to the ill-fated Puck after this. Some say he was distracted from his sentry duties by Lady Elizabeth, leaving the castle vulnerable to attack, and at that he hung himself out of shame. Another version says that Puck confessed his love to Lady Elizabeth and she rejected him, and then he hung himself out of heartbreak. Yet another version says that Puck pled his case to the Talbots, and they 86'd it, not only because it was an unsuitable match for Elizabeth, but also because she was already married. And you guessed it, Puck hung himself. But the most pervasive story, the one that most agree on, was that Puck didn't hang himself at all. Instead, he was patrolling while on sentry duty one snowy December night, when someone darted out of the shadows and stabbed him to death. He was still wearing his jester suit and still had his cap on with bells. He was discovered bleeding in the snow, and with his dying breath, he vowed to haunt Malahide Castle. I'm not sure why he was so pissed, but we already know that one Talbot guy murdered another guy on the castle grounds, so 
Maybe another Talbot was to blame for the murder of Puck and the haunting was his revenge. I'm not sure, but what I do know is that Puck kept his promise. He's a mischievous ghost who is said to frequently photobomb guests, which makes him a fan favorite among tourists. Personally, if I heard Jester Rails jingling, I'd think of the cask of Amontillado and be freaked out. I'd also be freaked out if I saw an undead court jester in the background of a photo. But people seem to love Puck, so maybe he's not all that bad. At the beginning of this episode, I said there are at least five distinct ghosts at Malahide Castle. And by that, I meant five that have names and backstories that we know of. There is another ghost who many have seen, but no one knows the identity of. They call her the White Lady, but she has no other name. In the Great Hall of the Castle, there's a painting of this unknown woman who wears a flowing white dress. And no one knows where the painting came from either. However, it's said that from time to time, the woman in the white dress steps out of her portrait and wanders the castle halls, perhaps mingling with Maud and her exes, Miles Corbett and Puck. After Miles Corbett was kicked out, the castle stayed in the Talbot family until 1976. This is when the last Talbot heir, Rose, sold the castle to the Irish state to cover the taxes on the rest of the loot that she'd inherited from her dad. Man, taxes suck. Anyway, Rose, the last Talbot to own Malahide Castle, died in 2009. Today, you can tour Malahide Castle pretty much anytime you want to. They're open daily year-round except for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas. That's it. I mean, if you're trying to go tour those days, you're a jerk anyway. But any other time, you can head on over to Ireland and check out the haunts for yourself. The ghosts are super active at all times of the year. Staff and visitors have witnessed doors opening and closing and even locking themselves. People have been pushed down by phantom hands in the hallways. And of course, there's the standard fare of strange sounds and objects moving around all by themselves to round out the hauntings. But they also have this really cool fairy trail, which is a little over a mile of fairy houses, sculptures, and hidden whimsy for kids or adults like me who think they're kids. There's also a butterfly house that holds 20 species of butterflies and a 200-year-old walled garden that served as a source of fruit and vegetables for the castle kitchen, as well as various other trails and gardens. And if you happen to be there in April, there's the Easter extravaganza, which is exactly what it sounds like. A giant Easter egg hunt complete with a super golden egg and a visit from the Easter Bunny. Speaking of Easter, I hope you guys have an awesome one. I'll see y'all in a few weeks when I return from mine. I hope you won't forget about me and that you'll come back and see me, same place, just a little further down the line in time, for a little more history and a little more haunt. We'll see you then.